Let me just get started here. We're going to be in 2 Timothy um, this week. Normally, we're in the book of Mark. We've been walking through that book, but we're going to take a brief break from the Gospel of Mark and land in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. Last week, Scott made an announcement and told you that Rick Gamash was going to be preaching this morning. I am not Rick Gamash. I'm Josh Montague. Glad to serve you this morning. But I'm here at the request of Rick. Um, Rick wanted to be at Cornerstone Church when Scott preached there because that will be Scott's final sermon there before he moves to Maryland. And Rick wanted to honor him. And um, Scott has done a lot of work with that church and has cared for Rick pastorally as well. So Rick asked a little last minute if someone here could fill in for him so he could do that. And since I have files and files of mediocre sermons from my years as a pastor and missionary, um, you're stuck with me this week. So if you were expecting Rick, I apologize. And if you leave right now, I'll be offended a little bit. Um, it'll be awkward. <laughs> All right, so turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 10 verses of this chapter. And there is a lot going on in this wonderful section of the scriptures. One of my favorite passages in Paul's letters. I think as we understand some of these commands in this passage, and we're going to look at all these various commands that seem to be disconnected, think through how are they connected? How does Paul connect some of these commands that he gives to Timothy and some of these encouragements that he gives to his young um, apprentice, how do they fit together, these commands and encouragements? I think our eyes might be opened to a critical piece of the Christian life that we often neglect. So let me read this passage. Here's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul, the apostle, writes to Timothy, a regional pastor in Ephesus, and he says this, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's a great ten verses of the Bible right there. There's a lot of familiarity with that passage, perhaps. Uh, maybe you've heard the metaphors of a farmer, soldier, or athlete. They're known to many of us. Some of us identify with those metaphors very personally. Some may have served in the military. Some of us grew up on farms. Many of us are wannabe athletes who can remember our glory days of 20, 30 years ago. So those, uh, those little metaphors in the middle just kind of pop out. 
the discipleship training command in, chapter, in verse 2. They're quoted widely in ministry training schools. It's the theme verse for the organization I work with that trains pastors overseas. And then there's these beautiful gospel encouragements in verses 1 and in verse 8 that have a familiar tone. What I want to do this morning is show how Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, weaves these commands and these encouragements together. The force of the three metaphors that he has in the middle will bring even more power to the individual threads that are going on in this passage. In the middle of this passage, in verse 7, we're going to jump all over this. I am not going to go through this passage chronologically or sequentially. We're going to bounce around this passage a little bit. But look at the middle of this passage in verse 7 as we start. Here's what Paul says. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So before we dive into some of the other commands and encouragements, let's go to the author of this book in prayer and ask for understanding before we think over what is said in this passage. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that your spirit inspired Paul to write to his friend Timothy, that we have these words and that they are for us as well. Encourage us this morning in the gospel, through your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, in the middle of this passage, there's three great metaphors for the Christian ministry or the Christian life. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Paul puts those out there and draws our attention to those right in the middle in verses 3 through 6. Soldier, athlete, farmer. I think all of us probably know one of each of those in one way or the other. So I want to introduce you to three men that have been very important in my life that my mind jumps to when I think of a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer. When I think of a soldier, I think of my grandpa Montague, James Herbert Montague. Now, thankfully, the word Herbert dropped out of the Montague names before it got to me. Uh, Many generations before me had that. I kept the James as my middle name, but lost the Herbert. I'm thankful to my father for that. But my grandpa Montague was a soldier, served in World War II as a Marine. So, If he were here, he would correct me and say I wasn't a soldier, I was a Marine. Um, So I apologize for that. Paul uses soldier, so I've got to just, you know, clarify that. Um, Grandpa Montague served in World War II in the Pacific. He was a model of duty, of faithfulness, of service, and honor. A very loyal man who served his family well, led his family well. A model Marine. (laughs) And um, that was a massive part of his identity. Even though he only served in the Marines for a few years during World War II, he was a Marine until the day he died. Now, when I think of an athlete, there's another very important man named Draymond Green, who is a superior athlete, in fact, a world champion, a model of disciplined training, who, a guy who came to college, to the great college of Michigan State University, as a little overweight, under-recruited guy who nobody thought much of, and uh, worked Hard, learned the game more, was a smart player, uh, took his team to the Final Four, was the National Player of the Year in college, and is a multiple world champion. Just a model of discipline in the game who worked hard to achieve a goal. So there's a soldier, there's an athlete, and then I've told you about my other grandpa, Grandpa Bailey, who was a farmer, farmed beans and sugar beets in central Michigan, and was the hardest working man I've ever met. 
sun up to sundown and beyond, every day of his life he was working in the field, it seemed like. So a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And Paul will use these three metaphors to describe Christian ministry in this text. You heard it as I read it. But before we get started, let me just say a few words about Christian ministry, because this text is about Christian ministry. And so those of you that are pastors or leaders in the church, you'll pay attention perhaps, but the rest of us might have an inclination to just kind of tune out and say, well, I'm not a minister, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a Timothy here, I'm you know, somebody that volunteers as a helper in nursery every third Sunday, this probably doesn't apply to me. Well, you're wrong, and I say that with love and compassion, because Christian ministry is not just for those who have vocational jobs as pastors and missionaries, not just for those who get up here with a microphone. Christian ministry is not just the role you play when you teach children or when you lead songs or when you lead a community group or a Bible study. In fact, we're in a season as a church where we are, by God's grace, seeing new faces serve and lead in multiple different areas of our church's ministry. We saw that just in that announcement there. So from children to music to tech to community groups to administration to the pastorate, there's all kinds of shifting pieces right now, people doing different ministry. But Christian ministry is not just what you do on a Sunday morning or what you do in your community group if you're a leader. Christian ministry is a calling all of us who claim the name of Christ have upon us. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a minister of Christ in multiple ways. In your home, you minister Christ. You minister to your family. You serve in Christian ministry as you disciple and parent your children, as you interact with your brother or sister Spouse, you are ministering to them. You have a ministry in your home. Whether you're married or single, whether you're a parent or a child, whether you're old or young, you have a ministry in your home, in your workplace. You have a ministry that God has called you to, to bear witness to his name as you work for his glory as unto the Lord. If you're retired, You still have a ministry. You are still called to serve your family, to serve the church, to serve your community. You are called to invest in younger believers, to disciple them. You are called to pray and minister. All of us are Christian ministers if we follow Christ Jesus, if we claim the name of Christ. All of us have a ministry if we are Christians. So, if you're a Christian... This passage applies to you. So listen, don't tune out for the next 30 minutes or so. Christian ministry is a calling all of us who claim the name of Christ have upon us. So what does that ministry look like? How do we engage that ministry? And here's where Paul's metaphors in the middle of this passage just jump out and give us great help. The first one he gives is that soldier, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Share in suffering. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Share in suffering. Paul knew this well. He was in chains as he wrote this letter in Rome, waiting his likely execution. He suffered for the gospel. 
And we may never suffer like Paul or Jesus or any of the Old Testament prophets suffered, but the Christian life necessarily involves suffering. We weep with those who weep. We share in suffering when we hear that our brother's sister died suddenly the last few, a day ago or so. We weep with bear. We share in his suffering. We suffer with him. Share in suffering as a good soldier. If anyone here was in the military, you went through boot camp. I'm not, so I only see it on movies and from the stories my grandpa and my dad tells me. But there's this camaraderie in the military that is almost unseen in any other realm. Uh, This camaraderie of soldiers helping each other, forming a unit, being a team. And Paul draws our attention to that. Share in suffering as a good soldier. One soldier goes down, other soldiers help him up. One soldier is isolated, other soldiers come to his rescue. And Paul says, this is Christian ministry. You see your brother suffering? Share in that suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he draws us to focus on that. Focus on that. This is your role because no soldier gets involved in in civilian pursuits. You focus. You want to please the one who called you into ministry. And so you share in suffering with your brothers and sisters. You enter into their pain and struggle for a greater common purpose. Soldiers work together for the objective placed in front of them by their commanding officer. Christ, our commanding officer, calls us to glorify him to bear witness to his name, and so we link arms and we suffer together in this world so that Christ can be glorified. There's this idea of focus in this passage. A soldier is focused on his objective. He doesn't get involved, ideally, in civilian pursuits. It causes us to think about our distractions. Do we avoid Christian community and sharing and suffering with others because of our attention to media or politics or social media or sports or recreation or social media or home improvement tasks that we have or social media or Netflix or maybe even social media, right? Are we focused on the community that God has put us in and the call to share in suffering as a good soldier? Is your aim to please the one who enlisted you by linking arms as a good soldier of Christ Jesus? That's metaphor number one. Paul moves. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I was never much of an athlete, uh, so I have to listen to others on this one more than I can speak from my own experience. But it's interesting here that Paul draws our attention not to the discipline of an athlete, although that's there maybe in the background, but the competing according to the rules. You can't cheat and Win, Paul says. There's an integrity that he's calling Christian ministers to here. There's no shortcuts around it. Almost every week, I hear of another pastor or missionary who falls and is disqualified from ministry. There's been times over the last few decades where the weight of that has almost crushed me at times. A few years ago, we lost two staff members to moral failure within a month or so of each other. At the same time, two pastors who I had served alongside in southern Wisconsin were both dismissed from their roles for moral failures and their families fell apart. Obedience to Christ, 
personal holiness are becoming lost words in the vocabulary of Christianity. Of course, we celebrate, celebrate God's grace and mercy, but we must not ignore that we are called to follow, to obey, to pursue holiness. And that's what Paul draws our attention to here. If you want to be a winner as an athlete, you need to know the rules and you compete according to the rules. You perform with integrity. The reason Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame is because he broke the rules. We're called to obey Christ. That's metaphor number two. Focus, first metaphor. Integrity, obedience, the second metaphor. And then number three, the farmer. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The idea here is that there's this diligence and hard work that a farmer puts into his fields or into his cattle, his uh, animals, and he deserves a reward because of the work that he puts in here. So it's not just a moral failure or a lack of love or distractions that get in the way of Christian ministry. Sometimes it can just be laziness. Paul says here very clearly, well, with a metaphor very clearly, he says, work hard in Christian ministry. Devote yourself to this. Put your back into it, Paul is saying. There are some incredibly bright pastor teachers I've met who can be lazy in ministry. I've struggled with this at times in my own life. It's so easy to get lazy with our own pursuit of God through his word, through prayer, through Christian ministry. And so Paul says to Timothy, in effect, he says this, the farmers in your church work hard and reap the reward. Be like them. Put as much effort into your evangelism, into your discipleship, into your teaching, into your training, as those farmers put into their wheat crop. And what's the reward? Ultimately for us, the reward is Christ. Not gold, not fame, not a better address in heaven. It's hearing our master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. Our reward is being with our Savior. And we work hard so that we can enjoy that reward. So Christian ministry, as we look at Paul's three metaphors here, Christian ministry, whether it's overseas, whether it's in the church, whether it's with your neighbors, in your home, at your workplace, it requires focus, integrity, and diligence. Paul's saying to Timothy, give your all to Christian ministry. Be focused. Don't get distracted. Don't skimp on obedience. Be a person of integrity, Timothy. Work hard. Be diligent. So that's the how of Christian ministry. But, but what is Timothy supposed to actually do? We kind of get the idea of how he's supposed to to, to, to act and, and do his ministry with these metaphors, but what is the purpose or the objective? Well, look at verse 2, because Paul has stated that in verse 2. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Christian ministry does not terminate on us. We suffer, share in suffering, we endure, we work hard for the sake of others. We invest in others so that they can invest in others so that Christ's name can be known to more and more people. That's the idea here. Share in suffering so that you can teach faithful men, Timothy, to these faithful men, who will then be able to teach others also. And this is true throughout the church, throughout our communities, throughout our homes. You invest in the next generation. You serve in kids so that they can know Jesus and tell others about Jesus. 
You serve in music so that you can sing and lead people into the worship of Christ so that Christ's name can be known. Teaching role, an administrative role. All of that role is done so that Christ's name can be known so more and more people hear about Jesus. And there's a danger, a narcissistic danger in our view of the Christian life that we think everything terminates on us. The gospel is astounding because Christ saves sinners like you and me. Yes, I am personally redeemed and adopted because of the work of Christ. But it's not just about me. Christ died and rose to save a people for himself. And I am part of that mission as I share the news of Jesus, as I entrust the faith to faithful men, as I entrust the faith to kids if I'm teaching third grade, as I entrust the faith to a body of people singing as I sing or play. Your role, the gospel does not terminate on you. It includes you. Thank God for that. It includes you. But it is not just about you. Christ saved you for a mission. And you share in suffering. You endure, verse 10, Paul says, I, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Christ save you to be a blessing to others, to share his name in your home, in your neighborhood, in the local church, in the global church, wherever you are at. Christ died to save you and send you on mission. Well, this is daunting, isn't it? <laughs> Let's just take a step back here. You heard the metaphors, which are like big ones, because I, I think about how can I be like my grandpa's and like Draymond Green and that kind of intensity and hard work and I don't know if I measure up to that. And then this massive purpose of sharing the gospel with others so that they, can we even do that? This, how? How do we do that? What do we do with that? There's, there's kind of two ways to think this through. One is my, you might, if I ended the sermon right now, and I'm not going to, so don't start packing up. If I ended the sermon right now, you might just say, all right, I got to get out there and work harder. I need to volunteer for some children's ministry. I need to, to, to you know, get here early and help set up. And Jackie might say amen right on that one. Um, you might just kind of say, I need, to, I need to work harder. I need to do, just summon the strength to just buckle down. There are times when we wake up to a realization that we need ministry strength that we don't have inside of ourselves. This is not just pastors and elders and children's teachers who have ministry responsibility, but husbands and fathers. Your first ministry is to your wife and children, wives and mothers. Your first ministry is to husband and kids. Neighbors, you have a call from Christ to love your neighbor. Church members, you are called to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to care for one another, and take the news of the gospel to a lost world. Some will go to Africa. Some will go across the hallway. All of us have that ministry. So where do we find the strength for that sort of calling? You can try to summon it internally, and that will maybe last a Sunday or two, but eventually it will die out. You don't have the strength inside of you. You need to look outside of yourself, and thankfully, Paul instructs us here. 
We want to do everything in our own strength, sometimes for our own glory, but that's not how God uses us. So, at the front and the back of this passage that I read, there are two brilliant, dear commands that Paul gives. Here's the first one in verse 1. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't disconnect that command from the metaphors and the call and the mission and the work that we have to do in the middle of this passage. Before he gets into the soldier, athlete, farmer, the high call of ministry that we have, the hard work that we need to do, Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is a passive verb. It's something that's done to us, not something that we do to others. We are strengthened by, surprisingly, grace. I always think sometimes when I read this passage, it should be, be strengthened by the power that is in Christ Jesus. That would just sound a little more, get more punch, wouldn't it? It seems, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How beautiful is that? It's an external empowering. The grace of Christ Jesus strengthens us for the ministries that we are called to. Grace is found in Christ Jesus. And just a note here, grace, sometimes we think it's just a feeling or a kindly disposition. Be gracious. Grace here is in Jesus' death and resurrection. Grace is not just God being nice to people. Grace is God entering the world of our sin, obeying the law in our place, dying an unjust death, rising victoriously, ascending to heaven to sit on the throne, and then sending to the Spirit sending the Spirit to the church. Grace is not a feeling. It is an act that God accomplished. And that grace gives strength for the ministry and work you have to do. Grace strengthens us for the mission. It's interesting because in Paul, at verse 8, he comes back to a little bit of this idea. So he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and then gives us all this kind of like pep rally stuff. Be a soldier, be an athlete, be a farmer, train others, uh, endure everything. But then in verse 8, he says this, comes back to it. Remember Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. It's still not this very active thing that we are to do. It's just kind of a mental thing. Remember Christ Jesus. So for those of you who like something to do, that's in this passage. We looked at that earlier. But here, simply remember Jesus Christ. Remember. Remember Jesus Christ. Grace is found in Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ. Well, why do we need to remember why do you need to remember things? You remember, you're called to remember something because you tend to forget things, right? I, um, when my kids were younger, they would get ready for school and they would pack their lunch, usually the night before, but sometimes they forgot, and so they would have to pack the morning of and then bring their lunch to school. We had this tendency in our house that it was almost always one person that left a lunch behind. And so I learned at... 7 o'clock in the morning, I had to remind my children and my wife and myself quite often to remember to bring your lunch to work or school. Why do I have to continually, day after day after day, tell myself and my children and my wife and the whole family to remember our lunch? Why do I have to do that? Because we forgot day after day after day after day. I don't know what disease infected my family when we were younger, but we, somebody always forgot a lunch. And so I'd have to go back and take a lunch. or I'd forget my lunch, and so I was late to work. Just whatever it was. And we are a forgetful people. 
we need to remember because we're a forgetful people. And Paul had to remind Timothy, a pastor with regional leadership responsibilities over local churches, to remember Jesus Christ. That that sounds almost demeaning to Timothy. Like, Timothy, don't forget about Jesus. (laughs) Right? Doesn't that sound like, come on, right? Paul, jeez. If Timothy could forget the gospel, if Timothy could forget Jesus Christ, how much more can we forget Jesus Christ? And notice where Timothy, what kind of ideas Paul's floating around as he calls Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. Christian ministry, hard work, good work, missions work. Remember Jesus Christ as you're working hard for the gospel. It's possible, in fact, I would say it's likely, the older I get, the more I see it, it's possible in Christian ministry and in the Christian life to work so hard and be so busy that we forget Jesus. You can volunteer so much at a church and forget Jesus. Now, I'm not saying don't volunteer. Don't worry. Volunteer. Do the work of verses 3 through 6 there. But... Don't forget Jesus Christ. In doing so, we alienate ourselves from the very source of strength we need to do the work of ministry. Work hard, share in suffering, endure, train others, but do not forget Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, the promised one what Paul's saying there. As preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Why is the word of God not bound? Because Paul's done the work of ministry, and God, through Paul, has entrusted Paul's gospel to other faithful men like Timothy, who have taught it to the churches, and the gospel is not bound anymore, even though Paul is in chains. Thanks be to God. Our Christian ministry requires difficult labor. It's hard in the home, in the neighborhood, in the church, the missions field, wherever it is. But we are strengthened by the very thing we proclaim. The death-overcoming, long-promised, unbound gospel strengthens us to give ourselves to others in ministry. Ministry or parenting or marriage or global missions tactics that are not blanketed by a transforming, empowering, enthusiastic understanding of the grace of God in Christ Jesus are doomed. Five o'clock tomorrow, I get on a plane and head to Boston and then Istanbul. A couple days after that, I'll be in Moldova in Eastern Europe and then back to Istanbul to New York and then here to Minneapolis seven days later. I leave tomorrow then for a week-long trip in Eastern Europe. It's been about 18 months since I've traveled overseas. I'm a little nervous, to be honest. Um, I used to do it all the time, but it's been a long time. I can't quite remember what it's like. And I'm out of sync, a little apprehensive. And honestly, I've kind of grown a little settled. And I kind of, you know, it'd be nice to just stay around for December and enjoy the holidays in some ways. And to be honest, I'm a little weary. It's been a long, busy, hard season of constant decision-making. I spend about five hours a week reading the news and talking to people about Ethiopia right now and whether we can send teams there. And it's just it's exhausting. So I have ministry to do that I love, but my energy level for it just doesn't seem sufficient. What do I do? 
do I do? When I was a kid, my dad used to frustrate with me with this thing. I, I didn't have a pickle jar at home that was unopened, so I brought some olives. And um, I, I didn't like olives as a kid. I love them now, but I didn't like them as a kid. I liked pickles, right? Pickles were awesome. And you'd go to the, the cupboard and the pantry, and you'd grab a jar of pickles. And, you know, I was a weak little kid. I just couldn't open this. I couldn't open the jar of pickles. I wanted a pickle, but I couldn't open the jar of pickles. So what do I do? Well, option number one, internal strength, right? I just like, you know, pump myself up, get really, you know, you know, do some flexes, whatever it is, and just try even harder and try even harder and try even harder and fail and fail. Maybe you go into the cabinet and you find that little rubber thing that your mom had that you kind of wrap around it. That still didn't work. I just couldn't open the jar of pickles. And my dad sometimes would be at the table observing me. And my dad is a, a funny guy. He smiles, watches me sweat and drops drips of sweat trying to open that jar of pickles and my own strength. And he says, said to me all the time, Josh, you're not using your, your full strength. And I'd be like, I am. Look at me. Look at me. There's sweat. And I'm like muscles bulging all over the place as I try to open this jar of pickles. I'm using all of my strength, Dad. And my dad would be, no, you're not using all your strength. You haven't asked me for help. Hand me the jar. Okay. Pop. It opened. <laughs> I'd be frustrated, embarrassed a little bit. You're not using all your strength. So many of us are sitting there in our Christian life, in our Christian ministries, and our responsibilities with our jar of olives or pickles and just sitting there sweating when there's infinite strength in the grace of Christ Jesus right there. Tap into that. We have an external source of strength. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, Paul says. We have an external source of strength for the Christian life and the ministry to which God has called us, and that is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you seek to follow Jesus, but you're not able to run quickly to Jesus' grace, you'll find yourself operating solely out of your own strength, which is a recipe for disaster. But Christ through his grace, gives strength for the work we have to do. You have been saved by grace if your faith is in Jesus Christ. Your work in ministry, whether it's in the home, your neighborhood, the church, the international mission field, brings the news of that grace to others. And dwelling on that grace, remembering Jesus Christ, energizes us for the joyful yet difficult tasks and roles God has called us to. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Work hard, work with integrity, work with focus, but remember Jesus Christ. Learn to be fueled by grace for the work of ministry. Let's pray. Father, this season we have much to be grateful for. So many undeserved blessings even being here this morning celebrating you is a blessing. We have much to be grateful for, so draw our eyes and our heart to Christ. Help us to remember Jesus Christ. We are a forgetful people. We forget Jesus. We forget grace. So continually pull us back. Draw our hearts and our eyes to Christ. Help us to remember Jesus Christ.